0: See, the question is not our devotion, it's what are we devoted to? And the challenge of this series, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, is are we in line with the devotion towards the same things that Jesus wants us to be devoted to? Last week, we talked about being devoted to sharing our faith. That's the reason Jesus came, was to come for those who are not yet connected to him. And if you're here today and not yet connected to him, this is the reason that we're supposed to be a church to focus outward, and as a takeaway from last week, we just asked you, if you are a follower of Christ, to pray. Are you committed to praying for, and as a tangible expression of that, we asked you to write people's names on our baptistry that you are praying for, just on a regular basis, so that when you see someone get baptized, you just automatically start thinking and praying for your friend, family member, coworker, neighbor. And then our cross used to be almost all lit, but every year we take off the lights and we start over so we never become complacent in reaching people. And if you're type A like me a little bit, this cross now really irritates you because uh, the, somebody went rogue, you know, and now we've got lights all over the place, which I guess is going to be this year's instead of systematically, which I'm all good with, you know, as we, as we, as we go through this. Together. So uh, today we want to focus on the importance of being devoted to connecting other people relationally with Jesus at the center. Uh, We've heard that we've, if you've been here very long, you've heard me say this we are hardwired to connect relationally. We are. Uh, We we surround ourselves with people that usually have shared interests or goals, some of the commonality behind that. Uh, These might be hobbies or just interests that you have at some level. And so here's what I want you to do turn to your neighbor. And tell them, what is an interest or hobby that you have? What's an interest or hobby that you have? And we'll come back up in just a second. So go ahead and do that now with the person sitting around you. I want to hear a few of these. There's a big buzz around the, around the auditorium today. Look at You don't want to stop talking. I like this. Okay, what are some interesting hobbies that you have? Fishing. Watching Netflix. Golf. Skiing. Skiing. Did somebody say hiding? Oh, hiking. Hiking, that's different than hiding. That's <laughs> like hiding. Okay. What's that? Music. What else? Football pickleball that is different what eating Eating. is an interest hobby and a sport quite frankly (laughs) you know as we've seen yeah what's that woodworking yeah, there's all these different things that you'll find. One of the things I think you'll find that's in common is almost all of the things that you mention have to do directly or indirectly with people who either helped you in that or like to come alongside and participate with you in that. It's just fascinating to see that take place. See, most of those happen in the basis of relationships. Most of us gravitate towards people who have the same interests, beliefs, passions, hobbies, political affiliations, or even same stage in life. You'll find that most common. Now, there's obviously different levels of relationships. One is acquaintances. These, this might be the person you just get coffee from you know, on a semi-regular basis. Uh, another one is casual friends. These might be work associates that you're casual and you're friends with, but if you're ever going to change works, you're not really going to stay up-to-date or connected in their lives. There's also good friends. These are people that you do a lot of things with. When you think about doing some of those hobbies or interests, these people come to mind. And then there's intimate friendships. And usually this number is not very high. These are people who really know you, and you really know them. And not everybody has these kind of intimate friendships, but that's what we're talking about today. See, who are we in deep relationship with is who we will become. The influence that we have in each other's lives, Proverbs 27, 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend in those deep relationships. So do you have those deep friendships? If you don't, where do you find them? Our hope is that the church, it models and exemplifies this, and we're going to kind of dive into that today, but that's one of the purposes of what we hope we're devoted to is not just coming and watching or listening, but being in deep, intimate relationship with other people but it's hard. Uh, A guy by the name of Matt Skinner writes this, the idea of community simultaneously attracts and repels most of us. We long for the life-affirming benefits that community can bestow, but we resist the demands that community makes. See, the idea of having deep, committed Wonderful friends, life-giving friendships, and intimate relationships in our lives is something that we long for, but what does it take when we actually see the cost that it takes? A lot of us kind of resist or reprioritize ever other things. For example, one of the reasons that we don't have some of these intimate, deep relationships is because we don't have time for them. We don't have time. So we've prioritized uh, work and tasks and things above relationships. Or uh, you might say uh, you're more of an introvert than an extrovert. But an introverted person loves deep friendships. An extroverted person may have lots of friends, but sometimes if you're an extrovert, you might find yourself not having deep friendships. Uh, Maybe we don't have time for more friendships. Maybe that's some of the issue. Like, man, I have my friendships. I don't have time for many more. You know, uh, uh, if you're honest, some of you might say you don't know how to be in relationship. In fact, a lot of the relationships that you've had, they seem to all fall away or fade away. And there's only, only so many times that you can point to those people and say, hmm, they have an issue. Eventually, there's a commonality, and it might be somebody you have to look in the mirror to. Or maybe you're like me. You've been hurt. You've been hurt past, you know, in college uh, years or, or, or high school years or, or in other times, and so you want to be in deep relationship, but your deep relationships look more like this, All right? Come close, but not too close. It's the one bitten, twice shy kind of encounter. Or you might just say I honestly just don't like people. Let's just be real. I don't like people. In fact, if I could hang out with my cats versus people, I'll hang out with cats all day, you know, because they don't put a fuss and they're easy to manage or whatever it may be. And so, if you have to choose between the two, well, here's what I want to encourage you to be reminded of. The Bible talks about this. The most fulfilling and joyful life is one who's devoted to life together. With other believers. In fact, if you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter two, verses forty-two to forty-seven, I always want you to open your smartphones or your Bibles, or we have a Bible as a gift from us to you in the back. In Acts chapter two, verse forty-two, uh, while you're turning there, this first one will be on the screen so that you can see it with your own. With everybody can see it with your, with your own eyes, and this is the passage we'll be in the rest of the month. All the believers. Devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves? See, this is what we're learning about what's important when it comes to devotion. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to break sharing of the Lord's meal, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So fellowship is what we want to focus on in a second, but this is what it says. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to the fellowship those who are being saved. Now, even in that version, the word fellowship, it's a funny word. That's not a word that we typically use. You know, hey, what are you going to do? I'm going to go fellowship right now. Now, the church is a little weirder, you know, than that because we take that word and then we ascribe things or locations to it. Now, I grew up in the church and so I can speak blatantly about how we were weird, you know, uh, growing up in some churches. Uh, The church that I had, you know, we grew up and most churches in uh, my growing up days had something called the fellowship hall. How many of you guys were part of a church that had something called the fellowship hall? Okay, so I'm not the only weird one here. I mean, because you think about it, what is the fellowship hall? Well, it's a place you go fellowship, of course. You don't fellowship anywhere else outside the fellowship hall. You must go to the fellowship hall in order to fellowship. Now, what it really was was a place where they had the coffee. You know, they had little cookies or snacks. And uh, if you were lucky, they had this weird, awesome drink where they put like Sprite and punch in it and then like Sherbert ice cream, you know, and the kids would like dive into that and you have this sugar rust. Okay, I'm not the only weird one, you know, I couldn't wait for the whatever that, that drink and then the adults would come and spike it later, you know, because um, they needed the fellowship, of course, and it's hard to do, it's hard to do so. So this fellowship hall, this fellowship place And I understand the idea, but it's just kind of funny when you look at it like, well, that's what that room is, it's a place to don't fellowship anywhere else. So I need to help you understand, this word is so significant because it epitomizes what we're talking about today and what they were devoted to. But understand that the Bible was not written in English, it was actually written in Greek. And, And that word fellowship is a Greek word pronounced koinonia. Can you say koinonia? Okay, Koinonia. You know, it means fellowship. The problem is, it doesn't only mean fellowship, it means much more. In fact, we do not have a good English word, as you know, with different translations of different languages, for equal to what koinonia means. I'll give you an example for those of you guys who want to go a little bit deeper. In this passage, koinonia is translated fellowship. In Romans 15, 26, koinonia is translated dis. Uh, contribution in 2 corinthians 6 14 it's translated as communion in second corinthians 8 it's translated as distribution and in philemon it's translated as communication so koinonia deep relationship is translated in our english as fellowship contribution communion distribution and communication so you're like wow how do, how do we know what this word means and well obviously based on the context all of those meanings all those translations were right on But here's what it means. I found the best, I thought, translation for what this looks like and actually came from the message version. The message version says this, and I think this epitomizes that word koinonia. It says, they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They committed themselves to life together. That's koinonia. That is the essence of all of those words together. They committed themselves to doing life together. So life together means an intimate sharing of oneself with another. Do you have that encounter? Do you have that experience? See, allow me to give you a visual kind of what fellowship looks like through an interest that I had through what I believe is the greatest trilogy you know, that's ever been made. So go ahead and watch the screen with me now. I will take the ring to Mordor. Do not know the way. I will help you bear this burden, Froderbams, as long as it is yours to bear. If by my life or death, I can protect you. I will. You have my sword, and you have my bow, and my axe. Carry the face of his all, little one. If this is indeed the will of the council, then Gondor will see it done. Hey! Hey, Mr. Furdo's not going anywhere without me. No, indeed, it is hardly possible to separate you even when he is summoned to a secret council. tied up in a sack to stuff it Anyway, you need people of intelligence on this sort of mission, quest, you. Well, that rules you out, then. Nine companions. So be it. You shall be the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. Where are we going? I love that because I think it illustrates perfectly the Christian life. Uh, When somebody accepts Christ, they're accepting a journey that they have no idea where they're going or how they're going to get there. They're saying, all right, I'm going to believe in this Jesus thing, but I can't do this by myself. And then other people, if they're willing, will come alongside on this journey, on this thing we call life, and we do it together. And we sharpen and we help, and we're all in it, and we become a fellowship A koinonia, an intimate relationship with one another, with Jesus at the center. See, as followers of Jesus, they actually tell us what they were devoted to that helps them in this koinonia, in this intimate connection. See, life together with Jesus at the center happens in large and it happens in small groups. In Acts 2.46, we just read, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes also. Uh, For the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And so just hold that verse in your mind, because this is what it means to be in large and small groups. We make time and priority to be together. We say, you know what? Because I value community, and I know it's going to cost me something, and in our society, time is almost the greatest commodity and value, I'm going to commit to being together with other people, both in a large group setting like you are on this day, but also in small group settings. And so when we come together in large group settings, we get a chance to worship together and celebrate communion. That's what it says. They worship together at the temple. So they came in large group to worship God you know, together in song, and they took communion together, and we do that on a regular basis. It's one of the distinctions about our church. We take communion every single week to remind us we're here because of Jesus, regardless of what we're talking about. We're always here because of Jesus. Uh, then it talks about how we eat together. They said they shared meals in each other's homes. Fascinating. And yet, not really. Because everything that's significant, that's taken place in your life, most of those things, I should say, happened over a meal or something to drink. Think about that. There is something that God has created us to to engage the physical senses with a significant conversation. Your wedding, right? Right? It might be the cake afterwards, the celebration. Uh, you had a conversation over coffee or wine or whatever it was. It was an amazing encounter, and you had something else that was there. There always seems to be food involved with people, and, and some of us like it more than others. We understand. you know, But there's food that's connected, and it connects us. It's like God wired us this way. In fact, so much so that Jesus tells us, hey, you know when you get to heaven, one of the best things that's going to happen in heaven We're going to have an incredible feast, he says. He says he's going to feast together with us as something to even look forward to, the importance of fellowship. also in smaller and larger groups, we read and apply God's word together. So he said they devoted themselves, the apostles teach, and we're doing this together. We pray together. Now, I want to give you a little secret. This is kind of a little off topic. But for those of you who are married or those of you who are thinking about ever getting married, They've done all the studies out there trying to find what is the secret to marriage. What is the silver bullet that can keep a marriage not only going but thriving? What is the one thing that if all of us applied, it would help our marriage to stay strong, weather the storms and get through? Do you know the one thing that they found that in our society we'll never talk about? Couples that pray together stay together. It's just true. Try to stay mad at your spouse and begin praying with each other. It's almost impossible. And most of us are like, oh, I ain't going to pray with them. Why? Because as soon as you enter into God's presence, he puts you and that person in their place. And all of a sudden, things begin to change. When you're going through a stressful situation, instead of just carrying the stress and taking it out on your spouse, you come together and pray to God. When you're going through great joys, instead of just celebrating by yourself, you come together with your spouse, and all of a sudden, you celebrate together. It's fascinating. It's almost like 90% of couples who consistently pray together stay together. Is that a mark of your marriage? Sorry, that's a whole marriage series. We'll talk about that later. But the whole idea of praying together, this intimate relationship, it's important. We also commit to, together to helping each other in our mutual devotion to Jesus. So today, we're going to encourage you. As you came in, there was these, these, these cards, you know, uh, these booklets on your, on your chairs, these connection booklets, and there's these tents out there to help you to connect at the other groups, men's groups, women's groups, community groups. I was just meeting with a gal you know, after this last service. And she told me, she says, Dan, I am all in on community groups. I said, why is that? She goes, because my husband had a stroke. And when he had a stroke, he goes, I can't tell you how important, because my family wasn't around here, how important that community group was as they surrounded and has walked this journey day after day, month after month, as so they've gone through this. Do you have that person in your life? Do you have those groups of people? It doesn't happen by accident. You have to be willing to get out there and connect. And so we journey you know, through life together. We experience true and consistent joy together. That's the mark. How do you know you got a good community group? How do you know you got a good church? Is the church full of joy? That's what it says. It says, they in verse 46, they made their homes and they shared meals with great joy and generosity. A gal by the name of Kira Bridges writes that there's 25 different Hebrew words and 10 different Greek words that make up the 150 passages in all the Bible that talk about this word joy. So, what does it mean? What does joy mean? Joy means gladness, contentment, and delight in the Lord. So, you can experience joy even when life is terrible because you're not saying, Yay, I'm so glad terrible things are happening to me. But you can always find a way to rejoice in the Lord and have perspective beyond your circumstance. And so, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul says, I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoicing describes the outward expression of our internal joy, the happiness, the smiles, the encouragement, the love, the coming across one another. So here's the question. Does your life, does your family, does your group, does your ministry, does our church exhibit joy? If you've ever been a part of a church, a part of a small group, and a family that doesn't experience joy, then you're not experiencing fellowship. You're not experiencing koinonia in the way that God has intended it great joy. So let me end with this next step. Will you commit to devoting yourselves to doing life together? Koinonia. Through VRL, by attending services weekly. That's why we have these things. It's not for my benefit. It's for our benefit. There's something that happens when we come together and make this a priority. And by prioritizing a small group. See, we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to end service early. And I want you to remember that when I take five to seven minutes longer at a different service. (laughs) We're going to end it early. We're going to ask those of you parents not to pick up your kids for five minutes. Don't interrupt their small group time. You know, let them finish out their time together because we want to give you five minutes, just five minutes, to process through, to talk with one another, to see is there an area that we've got to commit to. If you're already in a group, if you already got that place, here's your challenge find somebody else to join you. Find somebody else. Say, you know what? I have been meaning to ask you, and we're gonna give you the time that none of us have to be able to do that. For some of you, the first step of koinonia, fellowship according to the Bible, is actually accepting Jesus. And we wanna give you that opportunity as we kick off this fall together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to connect to you and to one another in this idea of koinonia, this idea of fellowship. God, I pray for everybody in this room that you would just lead them to the right people. Father, not just for what we might receive, but what we might give to fellowship. Father, thank you for the commitment of making worship of you a priority and for making the time to go deeper with you with alongside other people, both in and outside of groups. Help us to know what it really looks like to do life together with a few people. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.